Mike. So, I would like to start Thousand Suns. Well, that is at once a wise and difficult choice for you, sir. Why However, is it difficult? Well, Thousand Suns are, well, not where they were a year ago. However, Thousand Suns are still a great army. It just requires that you have the Kones to play them. Well, I have no idea where to start. So do you have any ideas for me? I do indeed. All right. So starting Thousand Suns, really starting most armies, Games Workshop makes life a little easier than it used to be. And that their start collecting boxes are actually a good value. It's perish the thought. Um, so if I were to start Thousand Sons as my first army, and really just in general, the start collecting box with the codex is the, the way to go. Uh, effectively, the start collecting boxes, the way they work is that, well, as I'm sure most, some people will know, uh, you get a free unit out of the box. Um, so for instance, the Thousand Sons box, you get Aramon, who is hands down the best HQ in the codex with a unit of rubrics and a unit of zengors which both of those troops choices are a very solid choice and you'll be using lots of them in this army because that's really where the army strength lies i feel in the hq and troops choices um from there uh i would actually work on building up to a battalion and getting more troops so i'd actually just buy two of the dumb things so you have two start collecting boxes. And while you may think that, well, I, why do I need a second Aramon? The real thing is the second Aramon is a treasure trove of bits that you're effectively getting for the cost of a unit of Rubric Marines and a unit of Zangors. And it gives you an extra disc, extra staff. Looks has a bunch of fun bits and stuff to it. And that's just a good value. The uh, other box that... And so this is a little pricey. You should also pick up starting Thousand Suns, regardless of what sort of flavor you're wanting to bring, is the Exalted Sorcerer's box. Which Now that one's kind of hard to convince people to jump into because so, it's, it's pricey, right? For three it models, it's, it's like, what, 80, 80 bucks? It's 60 bucks US? for three models. 60 US. bucks, okay. Um, effectively, you're paying 20 bucks a model. However, yeah. the reason why it's such a good purchase is that you only get three torsos and sets of legs. However, you get a bunch of heads, a bunch of arms and stabs and swords and just so many little bits and conversion items that you can use to customize your army. And more importantly, and this is the reason why I actually suggest this box if you're going to start Thousand Suns, is that Rubric Marines come in boxes of 10, which includes a Aspiring Sorcerer, and nine rubric marines with a mm-hmm. bolters, flamers, or a single sword per cannon. Ten rubric marines is, at the moment, not very useful. Uh, the main problem is that the they're a little pricey compared to a normal marine, even though they have gotten cheaper recently. And that's not really where the strength of the unit lies. Usually, the aspiring sorcerer does a lot of the sort of heavy lifting. The bolters are sort of a, sort of an extra thing. Um, and so what you can do with the Exalted Sorcerer's box and the extra Aramon you get is you can convert a Rubric Marine into an Aspiring Sorcerer so that that way you have two Aspiring Sorcerers to lead your five-man squads. So you actually get two full squads out of your Rubric Marine squad. 
um, which is just a very cost-effective way to start an army because the big thing in the current edition is you want to have an effective list that also allows you to bring plenty of command points to use your stratagems because a lot of the special rules for a given army are tied up in the stratagems. And so running three troops choices per two HQs is very ideal. And um, most lists at a 2,000 points will include a battalion, which is sort of what you're aiming for. I would say a battalion per 1,000 points of 1,000 sons is a very healthy place to be. So we could probably even take a step back, Mike, for a second and just talk about, like, if I'm, if I'm someone who's looking to play Thousand <clears throat> Sons, what's the army like to play? And, you know, these are all really good options for us to jump into. Like, the, the Get Starting Box, obviously, is now the official best place to start. Yes. But what am I getting into if I'm going to start <clears throat> Thousand Sons? All right. Well, uh, Thousand Sons are... Not the most diverse army, but they do have a bunch of very powerful options. The themes that sort of run through the army is Thousand Suns tend to be very durable for their points, uh, have good AP pretty much across the board, and have lots and lots of psychers. They're the preeminent psychic army in the game. Eldar can almost compete. Tyranids can't. Grey Knights really can't. If you want to win a thousand suns you have to really learn the psychic phase and all the sort of the cool things you can do with it and we're one of two armies the other being gray knights that can just smite indefinitely Um, other armies after a certain point you just can't do it anymore so would you say that there's a very large curve of things i have to memorize basically with the army whereas if i were to compare this to maybe something like regular space marines there's a there's an average amount that I have to kind of like to play the game at a good social pace I should have certain things memorized like all right I know space marines hit on three ups Um, I know they have one wound apiece I know they have their t4 their strength four you know certain certain things become just like second nature to you would you say with thousand suns I have to get to the point where Maybe I don't have every spell memorized, but I have a general idea of the ones that I really do need to take and how, you know, what their range is, what they do, who can take them, what it costs to cast it, those kind of things. Yeah. So the one thing is, I would say definitely that knowing what your army is capable of is extremely important with Thousand Suns and other sort of underperforming armies. The idea is that. you don't have much as much room for mistakes because as much as all of your guys are very durable, losing um, a model or a unit costs a whole lot more than you might think. And so being able to very efficiently use your units is sort of the goal. And that's sort of the direction I think that the makes a good player very good. And much as they, if you're starting out, just learning like how to move. As much as it might it might seem simple as okay, I'm going to move my five inches with the rubric squad. Maybe you want to advance. If you don't have a good target for your shooting, advancing could get you in a position to use a psychic power, or could take you out of line of sight of that knight that's about to blow you away. 
just there's a, a lot of consideration there and having the tools available to do that is very useful. So having enough psychers to take all the powers you want or having enough characters to take the relics you want is very important. And also I would say a very difficult um, and sort of the, the, the <clears throat> thing that strikes me about this edition in general, actually, and thousand suns suffer for this a little more than others, mostly because of the glut of options that are available to them. They have two different psychic trees. They've got the ability to summon. They've got the ability to bring for, like some very powerful forge world units and plus the stuff they have in their own codex that has changed rather dramatically, even in the addition between the index to the codex, <clears throat> knowing what you can do and when you should do it is very important to being able to play thousand suns successfully. And the one thing that I would say starting off thousand suns is figure out what, you want to do with thousand suns um so for instance if you buy your start collecting box and you play your first few games at around 500 points and you realize that okay i really like the rubric marines i don't really like the goats then you should you should and can very easily transition to a more rubric army or so i know some people that is like I don't need no rubric brains. Goats for days. And that works to up to a certain point. Now, obviously, competitive play, which I don't think is really needs to be talked about at length here. Things are a little different because there are established metas and being able to yeah. ex exist in those is a completely different game than just starting out. Uh, although I think what I can do is offer at least... Um, a competitive eye on if we're talking about things like your HQ choices or um, the things that you like if you have aspirations of playing Thousand Suns competitively um, I can at least offer some some thoughts around what you might want to consider doing um, mm -hmm. and what the optimizations are or like we can probably even talk a little bit about how we want to actually build the models up like how do I construct these guys I know for folks who maybe aren't so like collector uh, conscious, like they'll just buy more boxes of them. They're probably um, a lot more conscious of how much they spend on the hobby. So, you know, should I magnetize or, you know, is it safe to just build all bolters or things like that? So those will probably be good things for us to, to get to here in a minute. But, mm. um, you know, I thought you, I thought you made a very good point in the army a thousand Suns was one of the early codexes that came out. So one of the things we're struggling with as an army at the moment is just simply the power curve. And if you've never played 40K at all, and this is like your first army to roll with, that's totally fine. Believe it or not, when I got into this edition, Thousand Suns was my first army I played with. Um, and it was a uphill battle. I actually started at the very tail end of seventh. Um, the the key with Thousand Sons, as I think you put it, is that it will stretch every aspect of your knowledge of the game. So it has units that you need to be very good in melee with. You have to understand um, all of the movement procedures when you get into close combat. 
uh, because things like the cycle of slaughter stratagem that lets your Zangors fight a second time become very strategic for you if you want to do some fancy things, which we can get to in a little bit. Um, we actually did an episode, uh, I think a month or two ago, about actually just using the Zangors and how you can actually master using them in, in close combat. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also have the shooting phase. There are things that shoot. Um, one of the things you might have not touched on as a disadvantage that you're going to find with the army is that range is a big deal. Um, there isn't very much in the army that that has a range longer than 24 inches. Unless you start talking about some of the Forge World units that are available, you can get some longer range guns. But, you know, outside of your Hellbrute, your, your Forge Fiends, your... Um, your predators, things that are like your heavy weapon platforms, there isn't a whole lot that actually gets that range. And when you're first starting out, that actually gets pretty frustrating, especially if you play, let's say, an army like Tau or Guard, and they're shooting at you from 36, 48, 72 inches, and they just don't care, right? They, mm-hmm. they just are laughing all day long where you just will never get into range. So this is the kind of thing where knowing what you're getting into and knowing what your weaknesses are going to be and knowing what your strengths are, I think kind of where we're, where we're starting with this is you got to know how to play to your strengths with this army, um, how to use the psychic phase, you know, without a doubt, that's your primary tool. So you got to know your tricks. You got to know your relics actually too, because a lot of the relics um, that the uh, thousand sons have drive the strategies that the army uses. Uh, Dark matter crystal is a very good example, but I'm sure we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. So then the question becomes, where do you build from there? So you have your two star collecting boxes and you've, at this point, I've hoped you will have put your guys together, maybe painted them. I'd actually, it's just a recommendation from in the starting thousand sons, paint the Zengors first. This, <laughs> so this, there might be a bit of a, like, like why would I paint my Goatman first? I have Aramon. He's so cool. So, if you're new to painting or just even not necessarily like a super good painter, starting with the Zengors allows you to become familiar with how the blues and the golds interact with each other. Because if, well, whenever you're painting models that it isn't as important um, to make sure that you paint within the lines because, well, they're all just sort of muscly goat men. I'm sure it'll work itself out. Um, so that way, once you get to your rubrics in Aramon, you sort of have an idea for how the colors come together and you sort of had some practice at putting paint on models in a constructive way. Yeah, you can probably, with the Zangors, start with um, using contrast paints. And there's a bunch of different yeah. blues you can go with. All of them will, will look really good on there. Um, but you can you can start with the kind of the bluish or the bluish green contrast. I think Talisar blue is one of the ones that a lot of people go to. Um, yeah. Kind of stands out, makes them pretty bright. And then you just trim up the the Zangors, just painting some silver on their on their swords and uh, their armor a, couple a little, of little bit. Gold just, accents. Yeah, exactly. Just the just the level you want to go to. And you know, most places what they'll do is say you need to be at least to like three colors if you're going to go to like a friendly event or anything like that. There's usually some kind of little rubric like that. So mm-hmm. getting those guys to three colors actually is not hard at all, um, but yeah. they have an incredible amount of detail on there. So, you know, if you're just jumping in, I would not try and do high detail on everything right away, especially if it's your first army. Just try to do them to just kind of like a basic standard to get them painted. And then 
you're going to start seeing that you can, you can start doing more details and you're going to know like, okay, I see how these guys are molded and you'll get familiar with it. And you can, you can kind of start to figure out like what the order is you want to paint on the model and, and work up from there. Yeah. And so the other thing is about sort of the, the quality you're looking for, if you're just trying to, when you're starting out. So if you can hold an arm, a, a model at arm's length and look at it and it looks good, you're good enough. I can tell you from personal experience, you can dump endless hours into painting a model and there will always be something more that's like, I could have done this better and go back and redo it and just sink into this endless morass of always one more thing. That's the death of an army. Um, and so again, yeah. if you're not going for as good as like, if you're not trying to win golden demon or a quick crystal brush or uh, the reaper equivalents, don't worry about it. Get table quality, get your army together, play some games. That's the painting yeah. and hobbying is a 50% of the game. But if you're only doing that, then you're not really getting the most out of the money you've spent into it. Now, real, real quick. One of the things that jumps out to me, Mike, is um, if let's say you're planning on jumping into thousand suns and I'm, you know, picking up the get starting box of the codex, easy, easy things like two things off the shelf, ready to go. Um, however, if you're also starting to try to figure out the paints to use, um, here's what I would recommend. I would start by getting at least pick up a primer of the Retributor armor. It's expensive. I get it. It's hard to justify. You're going to thank, thank us later. I mean, the Duncan's method that's out there on YouTube uh, is phenomenal for painting rubric Marines. They can, if you choose to go the basing them in thousand suns route first, um, that can be probably the most frustrating way to, to paint them because of how much trim there is. And indeed painting starting with a gold base is a lot easier than going the other way. So that can yeah. of retributor armor is worth its weight in gold you know, <laughs> with thousand suns. And then you want at least thousand suns blue because you're gonna have to fill things in. Um, you're definitely definitely gonna want a pot of lead belcher uh, because there's mm -hmm. lots of silver. You're gonna want some Abaddon black uh, because there's some black trim, um, some celestial gray, uh, you'll want probably some Drakenhof Nightshade for doing the shading on the blue. Um, and then a Reichland fresh, Flesh Shade if you want to do the worn gold look. You can just do Retributor Armor, um, but you'll want that, war if you want that like old worn out gold look, um, the, the weathered look, uh, Reichland Flesh Shade over top of the gold gets you there. Uh, and then I also think that even though you're buying a pot of Retributor Armor, she, you should also, or a can of Retributor Armor, you should probably buy a pot of Retributor Armor so that you can go around doing cleanup um, after yeah. you've painted the blue. You, you'll make mistakes, it happens. Um, and then the only other ones I think you really need, you've got Celestial Gray I mentioned for the cloths. Um, you probably want Screamer Pink for some of the robes if you want to do some of the red robes um, like what Aramon has. Um, you can also get um, do the method for uh, his uh, kind of like the helm or the bone helm that he has, um, which is you could probably get away with doing that with Celestial Gray, um, but you can also get um, oh, what's the color inside the robe that they recommend? I think it's um, Ubshapti Bone or. Um, mm -hmm. The one that you, Zandri Dust. Yeah, Zandri Dust is the base. Zandri Dust. So there's a couple base techniques that are really cool. And that also reminds me, 
There is an app that's available on most of the app stores for your mobile phones. It is called the Citadel Paint app. It is one of the best apps you can use because what it lets you do is just hunt down techniques in there. Like let's say you wanna paint bone or you wanna paint certain miniatures, Thousand Suns are in there. Like if you wanna paint a rubric marine, they've got the colors that you need to do it. Um, so one of the things I found really easily, like if I wanna do like a dark gray or something like that, you go pick the colors and then they tell you which one you wanna use. And they even have differences for if you want to do edge highlighting versus dry brushing. Um, I have found that guide to be the most useful thing for me just knowing which colors to do and which ones to pair up because it can actually be pretty daunting to sit there and try and look at the color rack and figure, okay, well, if, if I really like this color, what should I use for a highlight? And what should I use for, you know, shading and all that kind of just trying to figure all that stuff out. Um, but hopefully the list that I just kind of rambled through will give you a good idea of a collection of paints to pick up. And it might be a kind of an expensive purchase to jump into. But uh, it really, like, if you want them to look kind of like what you see on the box and in the book, that's what you got to go with. Yeah. And one last color he did not mention, a uh, unsung hero of game, well, painting in general. Get a good solid white, like Corax white. Um, yes. Because edge highlighting is with white, the brightest points. Just It's amazing how far, how much a little bit of white can do for a model to really brighten it up. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. a trick a trick on the white, too, is the celestial gray that you can get mm -hmm. um, actually makes a good base for if yes. you wanted to paint white, you actually start with a gray because you need, if you're going to do highlighting the ridges, you need that to be a lighter color than Correct. what your base is. So even though it might look gray, it'll look white if you highlight it with a white color. Yeah. So again, just the other thing is if you want to go watch some videos of the like Duncan for instance does excellent videos on thousand suns and can show you from start to finish how to produce a beautiful model and I, I can can't say enough how important it is to uh sort of do a little research before you start that way you wind up something you're happy with all right so uh hobby tips aside so the next thing with Thousand Suns, if we're sort of following this guideline for what to do. So you've got your two-star collecting boxes. You have your Exalted Sorcerers. At this point, you've probably converted some um, Aspiring Sorcerers. So you're at five troops choices total, or six if you keep your Zangors small. But about the, the Zangors, again, you've probably heard, had seen the video. Oh, heard the video. We did my video podcast we should do videos anyways um, yeah we'll get there <laughs> yeah yeah uh taking rubrics i mean zengor squads and small squads isn't very effective and so i'd actually recommend increasing your squad sizes to 20 as soon as possible um, let's talk but, real quick about why all right because so, that kind of goes, if you think about it, it kind of goes against the conventional wisdom right now in the game. Like your friends are probably going to say you want small units because you don't want to be losing dudes to morale, right? And Sangors don't have the best leadership. I think if their highest is seven. Uh, I think so. So the thing about Zengors and other similar units is that they're pretty good for their points. Like at seven points a model with toughness four with a five of influence save, good close combat attacks, some special rules, 
that's a very solid purchase. However, they're a close combat unit, and they're if you take a small squad of them, the odds of them reaching combat at a squad size with sufficient models to actually deal appreciable damage is fairly low. Effectively, the problem is there's two the, the dice will mess you up. So if you take a large squad size, you could lose half a squad and still have a ton of attacks going into whatever you charge them into and still be okay. And the other thing is the about the Zengors is they are prime targets for the Dark Matter Crystal or the ability to deep strike using the Webway stratagem. And you want to get the most bang for your buck out of those command points, which means you'll want an expensive squad to use them on. Because effectively, something you can think about is the more expensive the squad you're using it on, the more points per CP you're getting for your stratagem. Or so, so you mentioned Dark Matter Crystal. One of the great things about that is there's very few armies in the game. Um, and just to kind of touch on that, Dark Matter Crystal lets you relocate a unit on the board pretty much anywhere as long as you're nine inches away. And one of the great benefits of that, um, if you've at least done a little bit of homework, you've probably seen that people take that all the time. And that's because it's one of the only ways in the game, there's maybe one or two other armies that can do this, where you relocate an, a unit. And because of how they've evolved the deep strike rules over time, that's kind of put them into this nice little niche where that still works on turn one. So it's one of the only armies that has a turn one alpha strike like that, where they can just relocate and go get you. Now, you, you obviously have some counters out there. Some Space Marines have some new things that, that prevent that from happening. However, um, it's one of the prime, I, I guess, strengths that the army has. And like Mike was saying about how big you want your Rubik's or your Zangor squad to be, the bigger that squad is, the more value you're getting in return if you're moving, say, you know, 200 points of Zangors across the table versus 70 in a base 10 men squad. Because you can only do it once, and that's kind of the downfall there. Mm -hmm. So, All right. So, again, we have our, uh, at this point, five troops choices. So I'd actually pick out more Zangors, um, or really more of whatever troops choice you're interested in. Um, I, I personally feel that the Zengors do have the valuable role of their, um, effectively they tie up portions of the enemy army. You deep strike them or dark matter them where they need to be. They charge in, they need to get an eight or better, which is actually more reliable with Thousand Sons than most people would think because of our various reroll mechanics and the Brayhorn. Um, and yeah, so that actually mentioning that we should talk about, let's start with the Zangors. Right. We should talk about how we should plan to equip them. So what way should I go with the Zangors? So the Zangors, I would equip, leave them with Zangor blades, the um, extra AP on it, right? They're AP one, right? Yes. The Zangor blades yeah. are AP one. Yeah. is more valuable than the auto pistol is the other option for them. I mean, as much as it'd be funny for 30 Zangors to pop up nine inches away and unload 30 shots of auto pistols fire into whatever, 
uh, you'll get more value out of the AP minus one on the charge. And, but you should always, always, always buy the Brayhorn. Uh, the plus one to advance and plus one to charge distances is a huge benefit. Yeah, for, regardless. It, might, it uh, might not seem like much, but you run the math on, on your chances from going from, let's say you deep strike them and you're nine inches away, your chances of making that charge go from having to roll a nine to having to roll an eight. And that mm-hmm. actually jumps you up a good amount. A lot of other armies have kind of similar things. Yeah. And uh, the other thing you can think about is that effectively, if all you do is advance every turn, you're buying yourself six extra inches of movement, which again, might not seem much, but we play a game where, well, things are very small. And so six inches is a entire extra movement phase that you're advancing. Um, and so, yeah, that against large squad size with the Brayhorn is the way to go. Um, I, I would actually consider dropping other things out of a list if I, in order to get a Brayhorn into a unit so, of Zangors. So no matter what I do, if I'm, if I'm putting a unit of Zangors in my list, I should have a Brayhorn on them, right? Yes. Uh, they're really, it's almost a mandatory upgrade. Yeah. Um, the, um, I guess going into sort of loadouts for, I guess, suggested loadouts. Uh, rubric Marines, I'd run them in five-man squads um, with just bolters. The main reason why I go with bolters is, one, they're cheaper. Uh, at two points a gun, they're just a very efficient use of points, and they fire at 24 inches. You can stand still and fire tw- two shots at 24. And... The other thing is the flamers, they're fun and you can do some really just cool things with them. The ability to advance and shoot, for instance, is excellent. But the problem is that you'll often run into when a with a sort of a flamer unit is that unless you have some way to get them where they need to go, they'll not often get effectively perform very efficiently. And no one's ever going to be dumb enough to charge them with anything that will care about the flamers, right? Um, yeah, you almost you're almost at a point with the flamers in the big in big tabletop games, where mm-hmm. you have to almost have your opponents forget that you have the flamers to be able to really get to use them. And yeah. that whenever you're in that kind of mode with a unit, it's not very good. I mean, there are a couple of funny things you can do, but um, I I don't think that somebody starting off should. Uh, do the now, sort of flamer shenanigans that I'm thinking about. If you're going into kill team, they're fantastic. Oh yes, they, um, they're team, amazing in kill team. Uh, flamers are awesome, and I hate them a lot. <laughs> such such bitter memories. Yeah, yeah. So we have the um, the other thing Mike was mentioning was uh, your kits. So if you're going with the advice like picking up two get starting kits to start yourself off. Um, you can essentially get, because you get 10 rubric marines in each box, you can make yourself with the exalted sorcerer box, if you pick one up, you can instantly get three sorcerers, plus you're going to get two more troop choices because you can take those 10 rubric marines and you can split them into two units and you can actually build yourself a second aspiring sorcerer in one of the squads. Correct. Um, the other thing about the, the Aramon and the exalted sorcerers, is unless you have a compelling reason to do so, I would not build them on discs. 
Um, the discs are cool. I, I love the uh, models on discs, but the amount you give up is just isn't worth uh, the extra mobility. Yeah, or you're, if you're going to use the discs, at least consider magnetizing. Yes. Um, or having get, finding yourself a spare 32 millimeter. I think he's on a 32. He might be on a mm -hmm. 40 millimeter base um, to to put him on foot. Um, the the main thing that I think a lot of people might take and disagree with is he's very good on a disc. That extra 12 movement is very, very good. Mm -hmm. But as you get better at playing the army, you'll find that you don't necessarily need that. As we were alluding to at the beginning that the, the game or this army makes you very good or requires you to be very um, competent in all the phases of the game. So as you get better at moving, you start to realize, you know what, if I just advance or I move Aramon correctly and I move everything else correctly in my army, I really don't have to have that disc. Like I just Correct. have to think ahead of an extra step to, to know, okay, I, I'm planning on using say Weaver of Fates on my Zangors. I have to make sure that at least one Zangor is within 24 inches to get that Weaver of Fates on them. Um, and that kind of is where I think most people evolve to and why you'll see at the competitive level, not a lot of people run them on discs unless there's a reason they're trying to do it. Like they, they just add extra points or the rest of the army is just built on speed, things like yeah. that. There's usually a good explanation of why he's on a disc. Another thing you can actually do um, and consider this with your exalted sorcerer kit um, is there is still the option to take a sorcerer with a jump pack. So if you do want to have that extra mobility, um, you do have the ability to take a sorcerer, put a jump pack on him, and now he moves at, at the same distance that the disc does. He can go into, go through walls and things like that. You gain some mobility and some differences there between taking a disc versus taking the jump pack. And those are all things that you'll, I think as you play more, you'll start to find like, I like this better or I don't like this better. And that's just, everybody plays the army different. Uh, this is just one of those things that you'll find a lot of people kind of differ on. Yeah. So then at this point, um, uh, you should have picked up another troop's choice. So you've have your two battalions. And now this is where, I guess, you have your, the, the core of your army. Uh, this, your allotment of troops here plus your HQs will, is a very solid thing to build off of. And this is sort of where I feel the true fun of Thousand Suns begins because now you can start bringing in the cool sort of eye-catching units. And uh, one unit actually I would very much recommend because the Thousand Suns version of it is just flat out better in a lot of ways than the other Chaos Equivalents is the Demon Prince of Zinch with wings and with malefic talents. Uh, it's just it's a, it's a powerful psyker in his own right. He provides a, a aura of rerolls like your other HQ do. And he's your beat stick. Uh, pretty much he can, with the proper buffs, um, diabolic strength, uh, boon of mutation, he can go into a unit and just by himself delete a oh, yeah. equivalent unit's worth of points. Well, another thing to consider about the Demon Princes is that they are the only way outside of Magnus to get yourself starting the game 
that by default have access to the third psychic tree, which is the Zinch, the Zinch demons psychic tree, basically, which mm -hmm. is included in the book. Um, it, one thing you'll have to pick up on pretty quickly is what psychers can access what trees. And Aramon only has access to the Dark Hereticus and the Thousand Suns psychic tree, uh, much like all the other sorcerer models, like the Exalted and the regular sorcerers, they can only access those two trees. Um, your Rubric Marines only get access to just the Thousand Suns tree. So a lot of this all controls what powers do you take on what models. And this kind of loops back again to the original starting point where we were talking about how the how this army stresses you. Um, you you're, you're going to be able to tailor this game to game. So that's a boon for the army of what you can do. You can literally say, well, I'm facing a, an army of lots of plague bearers. And guess what? If you take the invulnerable save away from plague bearers, they're not quite so survivable anymore. Mm -hmm. And something that does that is death hex. So, you know, now you start thinking about, well, who's the right person to put death hex on? And it, that all just gets back to who can actually take it. And you start filling out, getting an idea in your army of if I know I'm going to need to be able to take certain powers from the Zinch tree, well, this Demon Prince is a really good option um, because you you have the ability to get into that without having to use a stratagem to do so. But my question for you, Mike, is should I always take wings on the Demon Prince? So unlike with uh, your Aramon and Exalted Sorcerers, I actually recommend the wings. Uh, the main reason being that the your infantry based HQs you don't necessarily want to be getting super close to other enemy units um, because they're sort of vulnerable. Whereas the Demon Prince, his he's a powerful psyker, but for 40 points cheaper, you can take another exalted sorcerer. His the main reason why you're taking him is the fact that he gives you a, a, your unique powers, but also he's a giant beat stick of a unit. The And so to really get the most out of him, you need him across the table, selectively deleting units, and the wings allow him to do that by giving him the extra four inches of movement. Yeah, and he doesn't um, he doesn't have over 10 wounds, so demon Correct. princes can't be targeted. And even by things like snipers in the game, he does pretty well because a lot of the stuff, even like the new eliminators that Space Marines have, you don't have to worry too much about them because the, they're, they're still only wounded beyond fives. Yep. So. And the other reason why I recommend the wings is it allows you to assault flyers. Ah, very good. Which um, a demon prince with, again, diabolic strength will put the hurt into a flyer pretty much with impunity. Especially, um, especially Imperium flyers because yes. you have death to the false emperor. Um, that's probably a good thing to point out because I know that it, starting out, that's one of the easiest rules to forget. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's kind of the first thing that most new players forget is death to the false emperor when they are fighting Imperium units, um, anything from Imperium for that matter. Um, yeah. Chaos Knights, Guard, Space Marines, that whole tree, you basically get exploding six, sixes against them, which is fantastic. Which, to anyone not familiar with the phrase exploding sixes or exploding dice, any roll of six to hit generates an extra attack. 
which if you roll really good, well, you get a ton of extra attacks. That's and right. the third reason I recommend the Demon Prince of Zinch is that if at some point you want to bring demonic allies, he qualifies as an HQ choice for Zinch demons, or really demons in general, but for, for Topic of the Thousand Suns, Zinch demons is what we're talking about. Now he, um, the talons on that guy are pretty much the way to go almost every time. And that's, that's why you, yes. you're recommending it. And I think it's because when you look at the other weapon options, like the ax and the sword, they might be, cont- they might be tempting because it's like AP three, it, you know, it's more damage, that kind of thing. But the, the benefit here kind of alludes to how we were talking about death of the false emperor, more attacks on him, make him make that, you know, the minus two, two, uh, I think it's either minus two or minus three, two. Yeah, it's minus two, two. It gives you more chances to proc that ability. Right. And that means more potential damage. That's right. So that's why I think most people end up taking that anyways. Yeah. So, and I wouldn't try to do any kind of, or plan for any magnetizing with the demon prince, because I think he, his model doesn't really give that kind of flexibility. Um, yeah. Although I have seen some people use the uh, Ogroy Thaumaturge or the, um, I've seen them use that as the, um, it's an Age of Sigmar model that you can use as a Counts as Demon Prince. And the other thing I've seen people use are the Morgasts uh, from Age of Sigmar. The, um, you might know the, the box better than I do, but I think the main benefit is that for about the price of one Demon Prince, you get two things that look like a Demon Prince. Yes. And they come on the same base size. So you basically, mm-hmm. you save some costs there. You get two demon princes for the price of one kind of thing. So yeah, that's just a common thing I see people do, which maybe, maybe we'll get a new demon prince soon. But. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the uh, classic demon prince actually is, you can magnetize the wings fairly easily is the one thing I would say, um, because they uh, slot in to all effectively the slot on the back. That's a good point. There's probably a good YouTube guide up there. If you, if you just search for it, on yeah. magnetizing them. They're an old enough model, yeah. Yep. All right. Um, so let's say you picked up the Demon Prince, so now you've got five HQs? Yes, I can count five. Well, now you can bring another detachment, and um, this is where I guess my the, the list I would bring if I was starting Thousand Suns Fresh gets a little weird mostly because I love weird things. Um, three Chaos Vindicators is what I chose. And actually, I, I wouldn't say buy three of them because that's ridiculous. But um, the if you're starting out, especially currently because of the changes that just occurred in light of the new, Chaos, the new Space Marine Codex, because GW finally realized the wisdom of if Loyalists get something, Chaos should get it too. Chaos Vindicators are a very, very efficient anti-vehicle, really anti-high toughness unit. Um, and if you're starting out, you can buy the one and pretty much be guaranteed it will probably get its points back against anything but the most infantry-heavy elite lists. Um, it's very tough. It gets yeah. a reasonable number of shots, and those shots deal a, a ton of damage against a single target yeah Um, so you'll have the ability to to use your psychic powers to potentially heal it mm -hmm. Um, you can help its accuracy we are at least 
at the recording of this podcast, which is September of 2019. We, we haven't gotten our supplement that's coming in the psychic focus or the psychic awakening, sorry, the psychic awakening campaign, but um, we don't know what's coming there. What they've started doing at this time is removing the thing like the line breaker bombardment stratagem from yeah. the other books. And we're one of the armies that still has that. So whether that stays or not is something to consider. Um, mm -hmm. Like if you're, if you're planning on using that as a strategy, a core strategy. Yeah. So I guess the, the, the thing that I would go, if you, so we, you, we've gone over sort of the, the base is units that I would consider pick, picking up as sort of accent pieces for your army. Effectively the thing that makes the army your own is the, the, not necessarily the troops or the HQs because a, a thousand sons we have a, well, any army really has a limited selection of options for that, but the other unit types are what sort of like, yeah, this is my army that uses blah. So I, I think that that sort of deserves some discussion is what you go. are good sort of accent units. Um, well, my go-to from, from there is to definitely go Magnus. Like I, where yes. you go, where you go off into a new detachment to grab Vindicators and bring them in, they're a great value there. Um, I go the route of Magnus, and I and I actually think he's a very good unit to start with, uh, or for for people that are looking to start. A because he's an amazing model. Um, B he is one of those things that I think really help players compensate a little bit. Uh, because he is so destructive on the table. He's kind of like a, you, you don't need to finesse Magnus. You, there really is no way to finesse him. You basically just send him in and kill stuff. And He's literally <laughs> the big man on the table. That's right. And so you, you can pretty much take pressure off of the rest of your army with Magnus. And if you've already assembled these uh, two battalions, um, you're easily at about a thousand points right there. And with mm -hmm. Magnus, you're almost now or probably over 1500 points at that point. And, and you can add him in in either a super heavy detachment, or you can commonly bring him in in a Supreme command detachment. Uh, a lot of people have kind of nicknamed the thousand sons, the Supreme or codex Supreme command, because we have such good HQ units and, Oh yeah, there's Magnus if you want. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, I definitely, that after I've gotten that initial wave of new units, I definitely go to Magnus. Yeah. Um, other units I would consider uh, sort of taking as a sort of your accent units is the, the Mulet Vortex Beast is a lot of fun. It isn't necessarily the best choice competitively. Um, however, it's a fun unit. It can be very effective if... Well, you have the luck of the gods and you use it like efficiently. Um, effectively, if the, the here's the things I like about it. One, it's got an invuln safe on a heavy support choice that not many heavy supports in the army have that. I think only the Defiler and the other demon engines have it. And it heals one wound per turn, but most importantly, it has a bunch of just psychic and or sh like mortal wound abilities that allows you to so either support 
your Zengors or other units uh, or deal extra mortal wounds, which I remember when the edition first came out, the idea of mortal wounds was just sort of shocking to me. It's like this wound you take, you don't get any defenses against it. Just do not pass go, just die. This thing literally vomits those if given the opportunity. Yeah. And. But you've got to know how to get them in there yeah. to pull that off. Right. Yeah. You have to be sort of, you have to sort of know what you're about when you use this thing, if you want to actually perform well with it. And if you sort of take it and throw it away, it, it, you'll <laughs> never get your points back. With it. It's almost the antithesis to Magnus where Magnus is just throw him in there, kill him stuff, kill stuff until he's dead. Um, the vortex beast is the opposite where you definitely need finesse with them. Uh, you need to be yeah. able to hide them, put them in cover, you know, do what you need to do to keep them out of stuff shooting at them. Because as much as T7 with a five up involve and what, 12 or 14 wounds mm-hmm. sounds pretty tanky. It's really not in this day and age. I mean, there's, yeah. There is such ready, readily available firepower that can just bring him down that mm-hmm. it, you definitely need to either throw some buffs on him with your psychic powers or just basically get him up the field as fast as you can. Um, the, the output that Mike is talking about with the mortal wounds works best when you have lots of stuff around him and his stuff acts. Um, if you've ever played a video game, like I, I used to play Diablo two, um, I used to love the Nova spells that were in that game because they hit everything and you didn't have to worry about actually, you know, clicking on something when you did it right and the, the yeah. mutilith is kind of the similar thing it hits everything in range and um that's that helps a lot especially when you remember that below a certain point in his health that range doubles to 18 inches mm-hmm. and so you're doing a mortal wound to everything within 18 inches that's pretty spectacular yeah and then the the third unit which i personally I don't like goats and so uh, not high on my list of things to suggest. However, I do recognize this is a very good unit for what it is. Uh, the Zengor enlightened with the Zengor shaman is should definitely deserve consideration with their fate caster bows. The thing about them is on paper is like, Oh yeah, they're, they're, they're Zengors. They move fast. They have an assault two gun strength five. If you want one, who cares? But the thing about them is that every time they roll a six to hit, they all oh, six plus to hit. It's important. Right. Uh, they don't roll a wound. They just automatically wound, which against high toughness targets is huge. The I, now, I, why uh, is that huge though? So, so it doesn't seem like it would be all that great because I'm only getting in what like one if I'm looking at just six pluses to hit, that's not very good, right? Yeah, so that's where the uh, Zengor, Exalted Sorcerer, uh, words, Zengor <laughs> Shaman uh, comes in. So his main thing is he buffs other Zengors. And within six inches of him, you add one to hit rolls, which means that now you're getting your extra hits on fives and you're hitting on twos. And then you throw in like a reroll of one and that gives you an extra ability to get more sixes. And the difference between wounding a knight or high toughness target on 
actually having to roll to wound is you have a one in three chance of every hit you make actually inflicting damage. With making one in three of your hits, just period, automatically wound, that's a huge increase in the number of saves that they'll have to make. And AP minus one is actually a very important AP in this edition because that's the point that custodes with uh, storm shields or knights with rotate ion shields. That's the, it's the cutoff point where you don't lose any efficiency from a three up or a four up and won't save on most of those targets. And it's also enough to bypass cover. You're also, I mean, the, the downside is you're not getting a lot of damage, right? They're only Correct. one damage a piece. However, you are getting a lot of um, shots in by doing that. And the, and the other thing that you can also do, not to forget, is uh, you can throw prescience, one of the, one of the um, dark reticus powers on them. You can, you can put prescience on them, which also gives them another plus one to hit. So you're auto wounding on fours, which means 50% of everything that hits is just skipping the wound phase. You're just, yeah. you're making a save on it. That's, that's it. And then you get the rest to try to wound and get some additional ones in there. Yeah. And they're, for what they are, they're very cheap. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they are not very expensive. I think you get a squad of uh, nine for right around about 150 points. Yeah. And the, the downside to these guys, and, and I think one of the reasons you don't see a lot of people use them is because they're very squishy. Yes. And they were also designed before the rule of three came in. So the, the Thousand Suns Codex came out at the beginning of, I think, 2017, um, like January or so. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was that March that they induct, or they introduced the rule of three um, that basically said that anything that's not a troop's choice in the game, you can only bring three units of them and that's it um and that kind of kills zangor enlightened a bit because they're kind of designed for you to make up with their squishiness by just with their cost just bring more of them right yeah that's the zangor way and uh that that's just something i hope that maybe in the uh the coming uh, uh supplements they maybe address a little bit but for now that's that's kind of where we're we're limited at the moment yep so those are the, the the three units I would consider really. Was it four at this point again? The indicator. Actually, yeah, yeah it is four. Yep. The uh, yep. four units I'd really consider as sort of after you have your core, these are the units that really define the art. Well, not really define, but are very efficient um, additions to any army at this the time of recording. Because if you'd ask me yep. this, like. A month ago, I'd tell you, like, no, Vindicators are awful. Don't take this. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we um, – there's there's a bunch of stuff we haven't talked about, right? There there are some HQ choice choices that you have options between and kind of when to take one over the other. But I think there's some things that some folks who maybe have just started playing the army are probably going to be looking at and going, you know what, why haven't you guys mentioned, say, the Lazcan Predator? or you know mauler fiends or help even defilers they've they've taken lots of point reductions i think maybe the the best place to start is i can look at this from a competitive standpoint and say these there there are units here in this list that i'm about to give you that you can use but you're not you they've fallen so far behind the power curve in the game meaning all the new content when we say power curve we mean 
as GW releases new content in the game, and 8th edition has now been going on for at least two years now, every new thing they introduce in a lot of ways raises the bar on how strong other things are in the game, which means our stuff, which is older, beginning of the edition, is be not becoming weaker, but just not becoming as good. It's like running a marathon and you just can't quite go as fast. You might still be running a great marathon, but you're not quite on the same pace as everything else. So mm -hmm. you have things like the Scarab Occult Terminators, the Land Raider, uh, the Defiler, the Helldrake, the Chaos Predator, um, Hellbrutes, uh, even Rhinos to a degree. Um, even even cultists, for that matter, um, are also they're they're all units that you're really if you're building to collect the army, they're great things to add. I I think land raiders are some of the coolest models that you can get, but they are incredibly terrible in the game for for how much for how many points you spend in your army to bring a land raider you are getting very little in return and you're going to find that that land raider dies incredibly quickly on the table. Some, some other army is just going to walk up and go, okay, guess what? Turn one, it's gone. And you didn't even get to use your land raider. Yeah. And the other sad thing is there's armies that are going to do that to Magnus as well. Um, so from the, from a pure competitive standpoint, if you're looking to optimize or min max the army, depending on how you like to look at it, those are just options that you can just rule right out. Like, yeah. don't don't even right now, at least at the recording recording of this podcast, uh, don't even bother looking at them because they will they will be a waste of points. Yeah, which isn't to say you can't use them and have good games with them. It's just right. There are better choices, and I think the one thing that if you're starting the game, making educated choices and make the constructing your list will give you a much better time than sort of making spur-of-the-moment decisions. Uh, let me, I, I can say just from when I first started the game, one of the most frustrating things for me was that I uh, kept buying things and <laughs> I would lose week after week after week after week. And eventually I wound up with this massive collection of like, okay, if I take this thing and this thing and this thing, it all works. And then leave everything else at home. Um, it, it's, it's, it could be a little disheartening. Uh, I know I know plenty of people that have gotten into the hobby. They spend a whole bunch of dollar money on an army that like, yeah, this looks cool, and then they play the their first like half dozen games. Like, I I, just, I can't win. This isn't fun, and they get out. And I, I don't. That's not healthy. Yeah, yeah. What you're saying is part of part of the game is just understanding that you're handicapping yourself by taking certain units. It's not to say, look, you can't take a land raider and still somehow be competitively with, be competitive with it. But you're, you're definitely, you're, you're making the battle to compete a little bit harder yeah. on yourself. Just, just be aware of that. There could be some issues would be my suggestion. Um, so the next thing that we have alluded to throughout the course of today's episode is now you, you have your list of, of however many points. 2,000 is sort of where me and David usually aim, but most because that's the tournament uh, points values, and so that's what everyone around here plays, um, is what 
extra stuff do you get for it? What warlord traits do you pick? Uh, who do you make your warlord out of this list? What, what powers do you assign? And um, I guess even what stratagems do you want to sort of aim for as you use this list? Because it's a this a whole bunch of things that we can go into. And I actually kind of feel that we should break up this topic into um, uh, sort of the next podcast yeah. is sort of we have our list and where do we go from here with it right so almost in a building the army to begin with but then a second topic on playing the army right yeah because effectively uh, uh learning to play this game is a huge and in-depth process and i would say that uh, we could go for a days on like the, the little nuances of it and right. I don't think that we need to necessarily get into that yet. Go get into that <laughs> all in one sitting. So if I was looking at my army here and I've got all sorts of stuff, there's probably, well, one of the other things we probably haven't talked about yet is actually the construction of it. Like how do you actually build your list? Um, mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you design it? Um, what options are you really building around? I mean, I'm, even though something like a Hellbrute might not be at the top of the list there, but I, let's say I've got like 90, 99 points or something like that. Can I squeeze them in? Is it worth doing it? That kind of thing. And it, mm-hmm. you know, what role is he going to play? Um, before we, before we quite jump into that, um, maybe we should just give a word on Forge World stuff. Um, and that um, I, if you're not familiar, there is an offshoot of games workshop called Forge World. They make, specialized resin mostly resin kits and they have a series of models available to basically chaos space marines and their allies uh, meaning thousand suns Um, one of the things you're going to if you're going to go venture down this route you're really interested they have some cool models Um, one of the things you're going to want to get familiar with is the faq section on games workshop site and the main reason is these things a lot of this a lot of the rules and how you can take them are spelled out in the faqs they've published um mainly you want to go find the forces i think it's the imperial armor forces of chaos faq um or errata uh depending on how you how you search for it on there um in any case there are a series of of cool models that can be brought um, the loyalist space Marines get their versions of them as well. Um, there are some units that are worth noting in there that do some cool things that I think a lot of people actually use and you could potentially make good use of them as well. Um, first off is the chaos decimator. Um, most people I see that take them, take them with the soul burner, uh, weapons on it. Uh, the reason they take the soul burners is because soul burners don't roll the wound. They just do mortal wounds. Um, but the decimators, I think, are only hitting on threes, and it's a heavy weapon, so you're hitting on fours if you move. And I think it only has a range of like 24 inches. So um, I've seen some folks use them, um, like Goat Boy over on uh, Bella Law Souls. Uh, he, I think a couple years ago, was running an army with him. Um, a second option is the... Hellforged Contemptor Dreadnoughts. Um, 
you can use the models on there uh, from Forge World. You can basically just use any variants of the Forge World contemptors. Um, Thousand Suns actually on the Horus Heresy section have some very, very sexy looking dreadnoughts. Um, they not only have a contemptor, they have a special edition of the contemptor called the Assyrian, which a lot of us have been hounding GW to try and give us some special rules for. Uh, well, I'm hoping in the supplement we do get some some kind of update. Um, now these guys right now are running the game just using the um, the regular Hellforged Contemptor rules. Um, they just use the Osirian model as like a nice Thousand Sun themed unit. Um, the thing about those dreadnoughts that makes them good, they always hit on twos. They're relatively cheap, um, so point point efficiency wise, they outclass the Chaos Predator. Um, they, they have guns like the butcher cannon, which is basically a strength eight, uh, auto cannon that if you use it on a horde army or a, a big squad of, uh, regular infantry, basically, uh, they get minus one to their leadership or minus two to their leadership when they have to take their, their morale check. Um, so those things can be incredibly versatile and incredibly good against, uh, all sorts of things because strength eight, you're wounding knights on fours. Uh, they can take las cannons. They can take a couple other cool options, but most people either run them with las cannons or they run them with butcher cannons. Um, there's also a couple other classes of the dreadnoughts, the the Doradio or the Doritos dreadnought. Um, that one tends to be kind of a popular take uh, because it's basically just built for shooting, uh, and it has a kind of like a mortar-like rocket launcher that it can take so it's got some cool things to it um and then you have the the biggest of them all which is the leviathan dreadnought and it's just like a walking gun platform um it's a very cool looking model as well um they're also pretty cool because they are t8 rather than t7 um but they cost a lot of points to add to your army you're you're almost about i think i want to say you're about 80 percent of the way to magnus for okay. just a for a leviathan so those are probably three of the most common options i see taken again you're going to want to if you if you are interested in running those options there's a couple things you can do ahead of time um, one is you can use the battle scribe app to kind of like play around look at the models see what they do um, there is an there is an army option you can do to add to your list called the um, i think it's Forge World Heretic Astartes is what you do. And you just add that to your um, to your existing army that you're building in there. And the, um, the, the kind of the benefit of that is it lets you poke around and just kind of look at the base rules. But if you're going to use them, you definitely want to buy the, um, there's a, there's an index you can get from Forge World right on their site. It's a little expensive. I mean, you're, you're buying another book and it's not all that big for what you get, but you know, if you're going to go play in person, you, you definitely want to make sure you have the rules for them and you're not looking it up in Battlescribe and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the reason just to, to wrap this up, the reason I say, look at the, the erratas, um, there are rules and what you can take. So they spell out in the errata, uh, what units thousand sons can take and what they can't take. And those guidelines are very important because there are options when you're building a battle scribe that that it will let you take even though you're technically not able to a good example are the rapier um uh, heavy support uh weapon systems that are very cool that chaos space marines get to take thousand suns do not get to take them 
So those kind of things are spelled out in the errata. Um, you can check it out. Uh, you just read through it and it kind of tells you, okay, these are the ones you can take. Um, they're, they're cool. They're cool models from Forge World. They can be a little expensive because they're resin, but that's kind of their thing. Those are supposed to be the higher end, higher detail, you know, very, they're like centerpiece type models you add to your army. Um, and on the table, they can be a lot of fun to play with. Mm -hmm. So what do we got next? We're looking at building, building the army, the army list. Yeah. Um, well, I think we sort of, or have we wrapped that up? Oh, uh, we sort of effectively the, we didn't go into depth. So you have all this stuff you bought. You're sort of, what do you do with it? So I, I mentioned before that the battalion is sort of the way to go um, because it, gives you the command points you can use to use your stratagems. Um, and so at a thousand points, a single battalion is sufficient. Um, effectively, the what I would do is you have enough points for like Aramon and Exalted Sorcerer, three troops choices of either Zengors or Rubrics, and then enough for something sort of special. Like maybe the Demon Prince, uh, any uh, have support choice, something like that. Uh, a thousand, uh, two thousand points. You it opens things up considerably, uh, in my opinion. Uh, one, you should take a second battalion because more command points can get more out of your army. But it taking sort of the example army that we've come up with here. After you've taken all your rubrics and your units of Zengors, you have about. 600 points free to do whatever you want with and that allows you to really sort of customize your army you can bring magnus and another thing you could bring um well, more troops if you are inclined to another supreme command uh just the i guess the the base list I would go with if you're starting out a very reliable uh, way to build an army is two battalions. And then from there, take a spearhead or an outrider detachment. Or if you want to vary things up, just include inject them into your battalions um, and have what you want enough command points to do what you want to do. And uh, one thing that I like to do when I'm sort of coming up with my lists and my game plan is before I even begin, go in and pick out like what stratagems I'm thinking like, yeah, this is cool. I should use this. And that can go a long ways towards giving you more enjoyment out of the game as opposed to, well, I have a list. What stratagems do I even qualify for? And the that sort of proactive list building allow you to have a much better game and much better control over what you're doing because you go in even before you know what you're playing like okay this is my plan and it's not never it's not also necessarily about finding as many stratagems as possible to make it work it's more about just knowing this is what i can do Mm -hmm. um so like having zangors you should always just know that i can fight twice yeah so I think that's a fantastic suggestion. The other thing is um, there are some um, there are some ways you can kind of help yourself. There are cheat sheets and things like that you can find. Uh, one of them is actually posted on the Thousand Suns Reddit. Um, you can just go ahead and search the search the community for it. 
um, these are just learning tools to kind of help you get familiar with it. Um, they're kind of, it organizes the stratagems and what they can do when you can use them. Um, so it kind of guides you through it where if you can just train yourself to think, okay, it's going to be like a thing I always like to do is, is just think about if it's going to be the end of a phase, do I have anything that triggers at the end of this phase, like movement, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm done with my movement before, before I say, okay, I'm done with my movement phase. One of the things I do is I say, okay, I think I'm about done. And what that's doing is I'm saying, okay, is there anything that I need to do here before I move into the psychic phase? Um, dark matter crystal is one of them. Do mm -hmm. I need to, or are there reserves I, I want to bring in? Um, that moment of pausing every phase, just saying, okay, I think I'm done with this phase, gives you that moment to just think about, is there anything that I need to do at the end of this phase here that is important? And then you go, you go on with it. So, yeah. Well, Mike, I think that's going to do it for part one on this. Um, is there so. anything I'm forgetting for this? Uh, oh, what was it? Is it uh, Magnus did nothing wrong? Yeah, that's it. Magnus yeah. did nothing wrong. <laughs>